What a great reminder, man, just to, to, to know that uh, in this world of imperfection, uh, we can still trust and it can be well with us in the midst of it all. Um, coming out of that song set and thinking about this message and thinking about the final message next week in this series of Life of Prayer, uh, the probably, well, I will say undoubtedly, these two messages this week and next week will be probably the hardest to deliver and maybe the hardest to hear. So please pray for one another that we'll hear it well. Uh, it's not, not an easy topic, what we're talking about today. Uh, it's not the kind of God that we would desire. If we were to make God in our own image, as we <laughs> tend to do in our culture, we would, we would uh, make God to order. Uh, we'd make God hot and fresh. Uh, we would make God kind of the way we want God to be. And we would kind of throw out our request, and he would sprinkle some, some magic dust across our prayer request. And then they would start sprouting up from the ground. And uh, we would have all of our answers just like we want them to be answered, uh, just as we prayed them. God, I want this. God, give me this. And, and, and it would happen. It would be that way. And if you read some popular Christian writers today, some of the most well-known, largest church pastors in our nation, you'll find that this is a very popular kind of thought in Christendom today, which is a scary thing whenever the, 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 the proposition is, is that you can have your best life now and that every day's a Friday and all that kind of stuff. The problem with that is, is that if every day's a Friday, look at Jesus's Fridays. They didn't all turn out so well. All right. Think about it. And so every day of Friday is not always what you want. You know, and then if you watch enough televangelists or people on television that the real reason that your prayer life stinks and that you're not getting everything you want through your prayers is because you don't have enough faith. And that if you would have enough faith, then, then, then you would have reality in your life. That problem with that theology runs uh, really contrary to Scripture. God doesn't always say yes to us. Okay, that was never designed that way. It was never designed that if I had the right words and had enough faith that it would all pop out of heaven and I would get what I want when I want it. And it's a real danger to walk down that road. There are times, maybe more times than we want to admit or want to recognize that God says no. He doesn't say it real loud. Sometimes it's deafening silence. You prayed. You prayed fervently. You prayed with a whole truckload of faith. And it didn't become a reality. And you want to know where God is in this. You know why didn't God answer this? You get angry at God. You question the omnipotence of God. You question the omniscience of God. You question everything about God. You question the church. And, 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 and I know emotionally and at the level of, of many people's spirituality, it makes sense. And I want us to go deeper than that to really understand prayer at a, at a, at a totally new level today. And that's why it makes this hard is because where we're going to go today with this, some of you all may not want to go. You want the pixie, the pixie dust kind of God where he sprinkles over your, over your request and it all pops up out of the ground. But if you've ever been with somebody who's got word from a doctor that they're terminally ill, that they've got days, weeks, months to live, 
And what do you do? What do they do? All of a sudden, faith gets ramped up like never before. You start praying like never before. You rally the church to pray. You anoint with oil. You cleanse the house. Everything gets right and, and holy in, in life. And there's lots of faith and there's lots of prayer and there's lots of belief. But God says no sometimes. And he takes them prematurely to be with him or into eternity. Or you devote yourself to a relationship. You think that it's a mutual kind of a relationship. You think you're both in it, by buying into it, giving to it equally. But actually you find out that one person isn't so much in. And though you're still holding true the line, this other person begins to drift in the relationship. And all of a sudden you separate. And you prayed. You prayed hard. You prayed hard for your spouse. You prayed hard for that relationship. You really believed that God was going to give that what you prayed for. And God says no. How do you make sense of that? How do you make sense of it whenever you've interviewed for a job, you really believe in this career path, you really believe in this future, you really think this is the path that you're going to be going on, and you pray for it and you pray for it and pray for it, and then you knock it out of the park in the interview. So you think, all all together to get that little form letter that says, I'm sorry, but we've chosen somebody else. And all of a sudden your faith goes out the door and you start blaming God. And how are you going to provide for your family? And how is all this going to happen? How is it all going to work out? God answers no. When we're saying yes. I want you to think of your life and I want you to identify one time. Just once. You can maybe list off 15 times. But I want you to answer one time in your life. Think of one time in your life where God said no to you. You wanted it this way, but it went this way and... To this day, you can't reconcile it. To this day, you can't come up with answers for it. To this day, you're struggling with the tension of it because you really did ask. You really did seek. You really did knock. You really did believe. You really did do all the things that the, the Bible tells you to do and televangelists tell you to do, and, and somehow it didn't go that way, and God said no. And I know that the Scriptures do, do say that we don't have because we don't ask. And I know the Scriptures do say that if we'll seek and we will find. And all, I know all of that. But we have to understand it in its totality. And this is, this is what your homework assignment is. Every week I've given you a homework assignment. Your homework assignment this week is filter through, give yourself a prism in which you're going to look at that situation. That prayer request that you put out there, that you labored over intensely, you labored over intentionally, you labored over passionately, and yet God said no. And I want you to think about that and let that be the, the, the constant that you're constantly filtering this entire message through. It will hopefully bring some semblance of, uh, uh, of, of, of understanding when we get to the end. We're looking at a passage in Matthew chapter 26, so you might find that. We were uh, in a similar uh, context or in time last week. I, I misspoke when I said that Jesus' high priestly, priestly prayer happened in the garden. It didn't happen in the upper room. And then they sang a hymn in Matthew 26, verse 30. Then they go out to the garden of Gethsemane. When they get to the garden of Gethsemane, it's minus one disciple. You know, Judas has now stepped away to into his role as a betrayer. He steps away. And Jesus is out there with his other disciples to this favorite place, the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means olive press. What you did is you would leave the upper room, which is on the hillside, they, they suspect, on the hillside in Jerusalem. Busy metropolitan city, if you will. You cross down through the Kidron Valley 
Up on the other side, you find this olive grove, this tree, this garden of, of olive trees. I've been to this, uh, to what believe, is believed to be the olive uh, uh, garden that Jesus prayed at. It's a, it's a very simple garden, but it's, it's within earshot, eyeshot of, of the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus would commonly go there. In fact, it, we find in John 18 that when Judas goes to find Jesus, that's where he goes. Even though Jesus hadn't announced that he's going to the Garden of Gethsemane, you can pretty much guarantee if Jesus had some free time, he was praying in the garden. That was one of his favorite places to go, and he was there, and that's where you would find him many times. So he's there. He goes with his disciples. He tells all but three of them to stay, just set. Doesn't tell them to pray. I don't know why he didn't tell them to pray, but he just tells them to set. He goes on a little bit further with the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and with Peter. Those guys, he said, listen, I want you to sit here, and I also want you to watch. That word watch is the idea of prayer. I want you to pray with me. Pray for me. Pray for yourselves. Let's pray together. Let's come together as a community. But I'm going to go a little bit further. So he goes on a little bit further into his own little private chamber of olive groves there, and he begins to pray. Now, in this scenario, he has to come back and wake up his disciples multiple times. And you'll see as we follow along and read beginning in verse 36. So we're in Matthew 26. Verse 36, and we're going to read to verse 46. And so right here, uh, beginning in verse 36. Then Jesus went to them to the place called Gethsemane. Remember, olive press is what that word means. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Didn't call on them to pray. I don't know. When we get to heaven, we'll find that out. Verse 37, and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now notice here, there's a volitional change going on. There's an emotional change going on. Jesus begins to be weighted down, troubled by the reality that is upon him and is coming over him. In verse 38, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Now I want to challenge you to be able to articulate your emotions. People don't do well with emotions. Jesus articulates what's going on inside of his spirit and inside of his body to his most intimate disciples. And he tells them to watch him pray and going a little farther. He said, my, my father, he went a little further. He said, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We'll come back to that in a moment. And he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch him pray. Could you not enter into temptations? The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for a second time, he went away and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So he goes back a second time. He prays again, very similar prayer as he prayed the first time of this, talking about this cup, and we'll talk about the cup in a moment. And again, he came and found him sleeping, found them sleeping, with their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. I'm going to come back and emphasize that in a moment. Then he came to his disciples and he said to them, sleep, uh, uh, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. 
Now, when you come to this passage of Scripture, I could spend a lot of time and I could talk about the disciples and how they're falling asleep and sleep deprivation and how you need to sleep and pray and pray and sleep. And We're not even going to talk about the disciples. We're not going to talk about the fact that Peter falls asleep three times and yet three times he denies him. You could draw a whole correlation there. We're not going to go there. I want to talk not even about the prayer of Jesus so much, his request, though I do want to emphasize that for a moment. Because it is important to see that Jesus was very specific in his request. He said, let this cup, take this cup away from me. Now you have to kind of reach back into his Hebrew heritage and understand what's going on here. Is that this cup symbolized something 13 different times in scripture. Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the book of Revelation. You find the cup symbolizing the wrath of God. So this is a Hebrew first century tradition metaphor, if you will, that the cup represented the wrath of God. He didn't want the wrath of God to be poured out on him. He didn't want to experience what he was about to experience. His request is very specific. I talked a few weeks ago about if you ask in general, expect to get general answers. You ask in specifics, You can anticipate specific answers. And so he specifically asked that God would take this from him, God the Father. He was also very persistent. Notice this, that he goes away for at least an hour the first time. He didn't just step away and he prayed this prayer and step back and the disciples were asleep. He steps away for an hour because we know that because he asked Peter, Peter, can you not stay awake for at least an hour? So he's away for a while and he's praying. He comes back and he wakes him up and he goes away again for a while. This is potentially several hours worth of prayer. And he is very persistent and it says exactly what he's praying about. God, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. But also I want you to notice the intensity of the prayer. He was very intense. You notice that he was sorrowful. He was troubled. He was deep down inside of him, troubled deeply about what was going on and about what was about to happen. It says in verse 39 that it literally fell on his face. When he went that next step further, he fell on his face. It says in Luke chapter 22 that he began to sweat drops of blood. Now doctors have studied this in the body. And have said that probably what had happened is that his blood vessels began to hemorrhage. And that they spilt blood over into his sweat glands. That literally there was so much stress, so much anxiety, so much sorrow that he was under at that moment. That he began to sweat drops of blood. You cannot deny the intensity. You cannot deny the persistence. You cannot deny the specificity. How do you say that? Specificity. You know. He was very specific. You can't deny it. He was very specific about it. He was very persistent about it. He was very intense. Now, let's stop right there. Because if you will listen to anybody in popular prayer out there today, faith healer, whatever, they'll tell you you need more faith. If you don't have more faith, if you would have more faith, then you would have more answered prayers. Let me tell you about my Uncle Lester. He was the cool uncle. He was a cool uncle in my life when I was uh, growing up, and he was a bachelor. He lived like a bachelor. He had an apartment in, in Rogers, and I used to ride my bike over to Uncle Lester's house, and, and we'd watch baseball games together. 
he was kind of like a father in, in, in my life. And, and we would watch the Braves. We'd watch all these baseball teams together. And we would watch old uh, Andy Griffith shows. And he had lots of junk food. And so I could eat all I wanted. And, and we just, we had, a, we had a fun time with Uncle Lester. Uncle Lester experienced a stroke in his life. He was not a believer when he had a stroke, but he had a stroke and it put him literally in a wheelchair. All, all one side of his body was pretty much immobile. He couldn't function normally. It broke my heart. It broke his heart. It was a total game changer in his life and the way he lived his life. And through that moment, through that experience, he actually became a follower of Christ. It was, it was one of those kind of experiences. And here I was a teenager at this time, and I was... I was, I was overwhelmed by the grief of it all, and, and I really wanted him to be better and healed and, and walk again and talk again and do normal life again. And so I went to Lester as he and his, his very young faith, and, but yet very energetic, and me and my very young faith, but yet very energetic. And I had been watching the televangelist. I had seen it. I had experienced what I had seen on television, and I knew that I had faith, and I knew that he had faith. And I said, Lester, do you want to be healed? And he said, yes, I want to be healed. So we did everything that we knew to do. We got oil. We called on people to pray. We went into his bedroom because he had to move in with my grandmother. And we prayed and we prayed and we got right with God. And we prayed and we prayed and we believed and we claimed it. And we moved all the demons and we did it all. Long story short, Uncle Lester died in the wheelchair. He never walked again. He never talked again. He never was able to function again. Was it for lack of faith? Was it for lack of intensity? Was it for lack of persistence? Was it lack of being specific enough in my prayer request? No. The reality is that sometimes in our lives when we say yes, God says no. And it gets really tough at that point. We really want to cash in the chips at that point. Because we want to know why God said no. Why he didn't answer it the way I asked it. Did I not do it right in the right formula? Have enough faith? All that kind of stuff. And start, start analyzing our own selves and start doubting God and doubting. And we start go through the whole process. And I want to say, look at Jesus. <laughs> look at the Son of God. And how the Son of God went to the Father God and He said, God, I don't want this cup. Please take this cup. Please get this cup out of my life. I don't want the suffering of the cross. But it was not the request of God that I want us to focus on today as much as the response. How did Jesus respond when God said no? How did He do it? I think we need to look at it in three very quick responses. One is surrender to God's ultimate will. We don't surrender well as Americans, do we? We're Americans. We fight. We claw. We scratch. We climb. We make ourselves into something. We kind of pride ourselves in our own self-accomplishments. It's time to surrender when it comes to prayer. Many of us will get the first part right. We'll be persistent, we'll be intense, we'll be specific. We'll be persistent, we'll be intense, we'll be specific. But we don't respond well when God doesn't answer according to our will. But if you'll notice in verse 39 what Jesus said, Nevertheless, not as I will. That's the surrender part. 
Are we willing to surrender our will for His? A.W. Tozer said it so well. The reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. My friends, we need to learn. This part of prayer is the part of prayer that we don't do well. We don't go that far. We do the first part well, the requesting, but we don't do the responding well. This is where we have to surrender and say, nevertheless, not as I will. Richard Foster, a great writer and a great book on prayer, said that we need to learn this prayer of relinquishment. It's the prayer that Abraham had to pray when he put his son Isaac on the altar, when Moses had to relinquish his will whenever he didn't want God to, to rescue the people of Israel the way that God wanted to rescue the people of Israel. It's, it's, the, it's the relinquishment of prayer that, that David had to pray whenever he lost his son born to Bathsheba. It was the relinquishment of his will or her will that Mary had to recognize when Martha wasn't supposed to be in the kitchen, but she was supposed to be at the feet of Jesus. There's this prayer of relinquishment that we have to surrender back to God what we want in order that he might see what he wants. We might be what he wants. What happens, how do we respond to this no that God may tell us, is we transfer the leadership from us to Him. And that's a beautiful part of prayer. It's when prayer really becomes that walking with God, is whenever I now am not calling the shots. It's not my will be done, but it's Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me, I'm going to be just gut level honest with you. And please listen, if you've been with us for any length of time, hear my heart. The building that's being built next door, the remodel that's happening in here, I didn't want it to happen. That is gut-level honest. I didn't want it to happen. This building here was a, a process enough that by the time we were done with it, I was exhausted. I can't tell you how exhausted I was, but I was, I was, I was, I was put out. I was tired. We grew 40% in four months when we moved into this building. There was no time to breathe. So my exhaustion went to a new level of exhaustion. Just to try to keep up with all that was going on. Just to try to manage all the, the growth and so forth that was going on. So to be honest with you, whenever after six months we added our second service, and within a year we added our third service, and then when it came to the reality that we were going to have to add a fourth service, it was at that point that we began to have to close our preschool. We didn't have enough room for children in the preschool wing anymore. We had kids, grade school kids crammed into this side, preschool crammed into this side. We were able to get some annexed buildings to put out there with a temporary approval by the city that would be ending this year. I didn't want it, what we're doing next door, $7 million project. And it was actually in a deacon's meeting when the deacons said to me, We've got to do something. There's got to be an answer. Or the reality is our church will stop. And I've been a part of dead churches before. And I didn't want to be a part of another one. 
And I realized that God was growing our influence even if I didn't necessarily want to make the sacrifice. Because listen, Lori and I made the commitment on this building that we were going to give a double tithe. I knew if we were going to do another building, it was at least a double tithe coming that God was going to ask us to do for the next three years. And to be honest with you, I didn't want to do that. I had other plans for the money. And it was in that moment, when in that deacon's meeting, that I realized I wasn't forced, I wasn't told we had to do this, but the reality was I wasn't going to be the pastor of this church and the pastor in this community if I wasn't willing to reach into this community and make a difference. The reality was is I had to say yes when God was saying yes, but I was saying no. So sometimes it's actually reversed. God is saying yes and we're saying no. And what we do in prayer is we surrender to Him. The second thing we do when God says no is we trust in God's sovereign plan. So you surrender, you give yourself over. Notice this, He says, nevertheless, not my will, but what does He say? But as you will. Now, I don't know, to be honest with you, I don't know which, which is harder. The, the first one, where you have to kind of uh, surrender your will over. You kind of have to kind of give lordship to the Lord in your life. I don't know if that's harder or the next one. This one is harder. Because what you do on this one is you actually have to give God a blank check. You now have to go, okay, God, it's not my will. It's your will. And I don't know what your will is. So come to this building program. We've been talking about that, blah, 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 blah. Listen, what did I say? I don't want any of you all to give anything. I want you all to do the next thing that God tells you to do. That's what I've been saying for this past month. And it's not about the building. It's about obedience. It's about surrender. It's about willing to trust. But you know, that's exactly what Jesus called us to. Whenever he called his disciples in Luke 9, 23, he says, you've got to deny themselves daily. If you're going to be my disciple, you've got to take up your cross daily and you've got to follow me. Now, woven into that is the very prayer of Jesus. When Jesus talked about denying themselves, he was denying himself. When he says, not my will. When he talked about following me, in essence, he was talking about your will be done. See, we don't go here. We don't go here well. Because this means, whenever God says no, this means a transfer of dependence from you to him. And we don't like trusting someone else. We don't like listening to someone else tell us what we need to do and how we need to live, but neither do we like to depend on someone else. And whenever we're in prayer, we are doing just that. It's now I'm willing to depend on you, God. Experiencing God is a Bible study that I have referred to, I don't know, maybe once a month in here. It's been that life-changing. It's a paradigm shift for me. He talks about seven realities in the study, and in the study I want to mention just three of them. Reality number three, he talks about God invites you to become involved in his work. See, that's the key. Is Am I inviting God to be in my plans, in my work, in my way, in my will? Or am I joining him in his work? Reality number five. God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Most of us don't go here. Because if we're going to have to believe in something other than ourself, we don't go there. Depend on anything other than ourself, we don't go there. We back out of it. 
But if I'm going to go with God, I've got to be willing to go to an, a level, to an edge, to where I am literally trusting. We don't go there. Not my will, but yours be done. Number six, you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what He is doing. Make major adjustments in your life. Are you willing to do that? Because see, prayer is not me getting my will into heaven. It's getting heaven's will into me. That's really what prayer is. Am I willing to go there? Think about it. You're in good company if God tells you no. Think about it just for a moment. The Son of Man, Jesus, perfect Son, gives a request to God, the Father, and God the Father says no. The Apostle Paul, the missionary Apostle Paul, had a request that he gave to God. He was persistent. He was specific. He was intense about it. God said no. There was a time in in Paul's life whenever he had an opportunity to really become conceited in his life. And so God made sure there was a thorn there. We don't know what the thorn was, but there was a thorn there. There was something that would keep him humble. That would keep his feet on the ground. And this is... Literally, Paul's account in 2 Corinthians. A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Very specific, very persistent, three times, and very intense. You see it all right there. But he said to me, This is what God said back. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul said, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Please lean in and listen to what I'm about to share with you. The power, the transforming, the revelation of prayer is this is whenever I get on His plan, I get to experience God in ways, at levels, at depths that I would never experience if God got on my plan. Paul wanted the thorn gone. He prayed for the thorn to be gone three times. He prayed, he prayed, he prayed. God said no. But what did Paul get in return? He got to experience the grace of God that he would have never turned. And therefore, Paul turns around when he could have boasted back up there in all of himself and what he had experienced in the previous part of that chapter. Therefore, he now is boasting what? In his weaknesses. He got to experience God at levels that he would never had God said yes, but God said no. God says no, you get to surrender your will. You get to turn it over to Him. He gets to call the shots. You get to be dependent upon Him. It's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. Number three, you're going to respond. Here's the beauty of it. You get to move out with confidence. Whenever you, you literally are now at this point, God, this is what I want. Here's my request. I'm intense. I'm, I, 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 I'm specific. All this kind of stuff. Nevertheless, not as, as I will, but as you will. 
So now you're switching it, God. Here's my request, but if that's not what you want, I'll take what you want. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to get to experience you at levels I never would have experienced you otherwise. And then what you get to do is you get to stand up from that. And you get to move out in confidence. Not your confidence. In fact, this is the beauty of the no response from God, is that He gives you His confidence. Because now you're moving out in obedience to Him. Now you're moving out in faith to Him. Where do I see this? In this passage, you look at the last verse that we read. So here He is. He's been praying intently all night long. He's been praying specifically all night long. He's been surrendering Himself all night long. And He comes to verse 46. When He can hear the hoof prints, when He can hear the footprints of the Roman soldiers, when He can, He, he knows that Judas is just around the corner. He says, rise, let us be going. Did he say, run and hide? I'm about to die. I'm scared. I'm afraid. No. My betrayer is at hand. And you know the story. What happens? Peter comes up, pulls his night out. I mean, the guy has been asleep the whole time. All of a sudden, he gets this burst of adrenaline, takes his sword out, tries to cut a man's head off, misses, cuts his ear off. Instead, Jesus says, stop it. Stop it. Picks up the ear, puts it back on, surrenders himself. What confidence was that? To walk into the hands of his betrayer, to kiss him on the cheek, and to walk into that. Here's the beauty of it. Prayer, so when God says no, that may be the greatest blessing of your life. Thank God for unanswered prayer. Thank God for it. I probably learned more from prayer from reading Andrew Murray than other than Ian Bounds than anybody else. He said this, For our sins, he suffered beneath the burden of that unanswered prayer. Thank God for unanswered prayer. Thank God that Jesus didn't get what he wanted. He got what God wanted. Look in your own life right now. What are you angry with God about? What are you upset about? What through that prism, that filter of your own prayers right now? Is God not answering or it's just deafening silence? Trust Him. Depend on Him. Allow His will to be done, not yours. Would you bow your head with me? Easier said been done. Some of y'all have got some real raw emotions, some real skin in this game. You don't want to trust Him. You're afraid for where that trust may take you. That path may lead you. And I wish I could say that every day is a Friday and every day is your best day and tomorrow is going to be a better. I can't. Look at the life of Christ. But here's the beauty of it. You can stand up and walk out of here and face it. Face your betrayers. Face it. And let God work through you. Father, You know the hearts of everyone in this room. Some of them are praying, Lord, and they're praying and they're they're stopping. They've given up already. 
Some of us, Lord, need to introduce a new phrase into our vocabulary. Into our hearts, nevertheless. Not my will, but yours be done. That surrender, that trust in you. And then, Lord, to be able to walk out of here with confidence. Lord, we, we pray, as I pray for this room right now, the real pain, the real hurt people may be feeling, the real anxiety and bewilderment, Lord, help them to rise and be strong in their faith, committed in their prayers to your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.